Good morning, good day, and good evening. Welcome to episode 178 of Tech of a Tea. I'm, as always, your host, Brody Robertson, and today we have a guest. This is Big Pod. Welcome to the show. How you doing? Hello. Doing great, actually. I've actually known about you for like quite a while i know like you know you do a couple of things in your youtube channel that's not how i knew who you were i didn't even know you had a youtube channel until like you contacted me again to like uh start and do i uh, start to do this i knew you from when you were a mod on DistroTube's discord <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that that was a while ago now wasn't it like when did he shut that down yeah a couple of years be like a year or two ago mm mm so been quite a while. <laughs> why why were you doing that in the first place? Like how did that even happen? <clears throat> Me and DT go back a couple of years. Mm. Um he had uh this thing called Open Free Sunday chat. Where I used to join and I was a bit of a driver of conversation a lot of the time. And basically what I used to be a filler and and then after a while, he made me a moderator there. And after a while, I became moderator basically anywhere he had these things. <laughs> so I, I, I help him out. In, even now on his channel, when he does live streams, I moderate. Oh, that's and cool. I'm a f bit of a filler on, that, on his, uh, his uh, end of the month Patreon chats he does. I know you've done some like collaboration videos with them as well. There was one where was it making yeah. like arch packages or something like that? You... <clears throat> I did two videos with him: one mm -hmm. on arch packages and one on step packages. Uh oh yeah okay, awesome. Well, why <laughs> you just randomly hit me up like as I was on like Mastodon? You're like, hey, do, do you want to? I know this guy who would be great for the podcast. Like his name's Big Pod. Why? Why in the world did you want to come on here? Like, what? What were you going to get out of it? Well, I'm trying to broaden myself mm -hmm. a bit, uh, my brand, uh, because I'm currently out of a job and. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to broaden myself as a YouTuber, as a future blogger, trying to get myself out there if I cannot find a job so I can have at least something to fall back on mm -hmm. and maybe in future even be something a little bit bigger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's always... I, I've luckily not had to be in that position where I didn't have like any job whatsoever, but I have had some positions where they were not giving me the hours I needed and it was like... Well, like, I I could stick here, but I'm just going to be burning through any savings I have. Within, like, a couple of months, I'm going to have nothing left. Like, I've got to find some place soon, but what, like, what sort yeah. of experience do you have out there? Like, like I, I did see on your LinkedIn you've done, like, some cloud stuff and servery stuff. Like, what is your, what is your background in the tech space? Um, my official... Uh, job employment record is working in container space. Mm -hmm. But my schooling is more primarily in server stuff. Mm -hmm. That's what my school had for the, the level of education I did. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm doing... Uh, I, I, at the company I was working, I also did a lot of programming. So uh, programming in the container space, mostly. Mm, okay. 
Well, how, obviously, like the container space is very like Linuxy focused. There is some that you know yeah. there is some stuff you can do on Windows. It's gotten better than it was, but like Linux is still that that core focus of containers. So, yeah. how did you end up like ever getting interested in Linux in the first place? Like, how long have you been using Linux? What was your first distro? Uh, first distro was Ubuntu seventeen ten. Okay. Oh, first officially distro, mm-hmm. what I count officially. Um, <clears throat> it's a bit of a story. That's why we're here. I... I was, back in the day, I was actually interested in Linux mm-hmm. uh, before going with Ubuntu 70.10. But I was, I was always thinking it was just a server distro. So every, every so often I checked it out in a VM, did some stuff, learned a bit, and then deleted it. Okay. But with... I didn't do a lot of server stuff like for others or for myself for public. So I didn't have much use for server at the right. time. So I believe it was right before the release of Ubuntu 17.10. One of my professors came with his personal laptop and he put it into something that wasn't Windows. And he asked, what is this? Mm-hmm. And nobody knew except me. I knew just enough. And I said, I said, that's Ubuntu. Uh, but I didn't know which version of Ubuntu because something was different. Mm-hmm. Ubuntu 7.10, because it had a pre-release version installed. Ubuntu 7.10 is the version that switched from Unit to GNOME. And oh, that threw me off. right. Right, and that afterwards, I talked with him about um, desktop Linux. And, and then I, then I uh, found on my desk an old laptop it was laying on my desk for a couple of years mm-hmm. because i was supposed to fix it but i didn't it was <laughs> working just very slowly oh, okay. and i was supposed to fix it for myself and i didn't because i never had a need for it so it it was sitting right here where you're supposed to i was supposed to sit and look at it mm-hmm. so that was fun and I pulled it out and I just for fun installed Ubuntu 7.10 on it. And from then on, I made myself use it uh, because at the end of that school year, I was supposed to write a paper, like 10 page paper on some something to do with computers. Because I was supposed to, it was at the, at the end of the, that segment of schooling. And mm-hmm. so I decided I'm going to do linux stuff comparing to windows because mm-hmm. i had a windows desktop and a linux laptop so i did i did server stuff because that's more applicable mm-hmm. and so that that made me carry that laptop to school which was really funny because i always had to have a power cord with me because battery didn't work oh, oh it didn't work but, <laughs> who cares about battery drain if there's no battery uh Technically, there was a battery, battery to drain, and it technically did drain. Right. It just drained in five minutes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. At the time, that was like a 10-year laptop. Okay. <laughs> at the time. And that was like seven years or something like that ago. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I then got my professors to allow me to use laptop in class, which made me the only one. Okay. And... 
uh, especially in the computer classes, I could use my own laptop and all that. And mm -hmm. they saw it as a bit of a challenge to see if I can do the same things they do on Windows. Mm -hmm. And of course, mm -hmm. I did everything because by the time I already made myself kind of kind of knowledgeable. And yeah, then that laptop broke right before I was supposed to end the writing of that uh, that paper. So. I still wrote, still managed to write the whole of it on Linux. Mm -hmm. I did it in a VM because that was part of the challenge I set for myself. And then I put it on a USB. I brought it to school printer office and got back a bit of gibberish. Like 10 pages of gibberish. Mm -hmm. Because LibreOffice and Windows and Office don't go well together. What was that? So that was, that... what? So you were doing that six years ago? Yeah. Yeah, I, especially back then. It was a lot worse back then. And then I made, made it to work in, in office at home. We got it back to that printer shop. Got back nice, nice papers. Uh, gave it to a professor and got, a, I believe it was a four. We have a scale from one to five with four being second best grade. Mm -hmm. I did have a bit of problems. Like there were no pictures there. Because I forgot them. I was supposed to add them, but I forgot. <laughs> so, a professor asked me, uh, why are there no pictures? Mm -hmm. And before I could think of an answer, he gave an answer for me. And he, he asked, did you think it will look more professional that way? Like white papers you see on internet. And I was like, yes, that's it. <laughs> and... What a great professor. Then... Then... I was a couple of months without a laptop. I had a desktop, Windows desktop. Mm -hmm. But then I was supposed to go to a next level of education. So I, I got a more powerful laptop so mm -hmm. I could carry it with me all the time because school computers suck. You all know that. Mm -hmm. And I got myself a powerful uh, gaming laptop. And from day one, it, 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 was, it was always meant to be a dual boot machine, but from day one, I booted into the original version of Windows to check it out. It was Windows 10 at the time. Mm -hmm. I made a USB with Rufus of Ubuntu. Uh, at the time, it was already actually 18.10 because mm -hmm. next school year, I started next school year. And loaded it up, and that was me. Uh, using Linux. Uh, in the meantime, I also learned Arch Linux in VMs and all that. So uh, soon after, there was uh, a third partition with Arch Linux there, mm -hmm. and that's that's me. Then, then it was Linux all the time. And there are mm -hmm. periods when I used only Linux. There are periods I used dual boot. Nowadays, dual boot is because Call of Duty doesn't work on Linux. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. So. I probably, now that I think about it, I, I thought six years ago was a long time ago, and then I thought about when I started using Linux, and then I realized, <laughs> wait, six years ago is not that long ago, is it? Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, get, I I would have been using, I would have been daily driving Arch around the same time as well, then let me actually just check. I, I probably have a video of it. Rody Robertson. When, when did that video come out? No, not the recent videos. Where's the old one? I've got too many videos on this channel. 
it's got to be close. Maybe like I'm gonna say at least four years ago. Someone's gonna know the act like exactly how long it was. Um, but when I started using Linux, I <laughs> I didn't even have like a Windows VM at the time. I initially started the start of a school term, like maybe two weeks in. I just nuked my Windows system and installed Arch. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know, like, I'd watched a bunch of Luke Smith videos. I kind of knew what I was getting into, but not really. Uh, I ended up writing some of my papers at the time in... I think I, I wrote some of my papers in Groff, actually. And then <laughs> exported them out to a PDF. I wrote some others in LaTeX as well. It was... It was a, a mess of a year. But... I think I didn't end up installing a Windows VM until I ran across one random bit of database <laughs> software that, like, the interface that we were using that was, like, part of the assignment had to be used on Windows. And there was no way to get it running through Wine. It just it just had to be used on Windows. I think it was, like, a database designer tool or something like that. That sucks. Yeah, it does. Yeah, because everything else, like, I... I got around the LibreOffice rendering issue by just exporting everything to PDFs, except my one professor who was refusing to accept PDFs because he thought it was harder to mark them. I don't know. He, he was a weird guy. But for you, yeah, I don't know. Everyone else, like, er, so everyone else, they accepted literally every file format, even formats that didn't make sense. Like, half the assignments I could submit as a TXT document, and they would not care. Um, they might care because the formatting's off, but, like, they accepted it as a submission. But when you were swapping, like, what was your experience like doing that? Because you were intentionally trying to compare the two experiences. Like, what what did you feel were your limitations with Linux? What did you feel were the limitations with Windows? Did you feel like one at the time was better than the other? Like, where do you stand with that? Windows was definitely better for me because I knew it better. Sure. But uh, that aside and hardware issues aside, drivers were a problem. Okay. Because while Ubuntu was great, I did, I did try to use some other things on mm -hmm. that old laptop. Like Fedora, in the middle, in the middle, uh, in the middle of sitting on the floor um, waiting for class. <laughs> yeah, if you don't have a cable right beside you. Mm-hmm. Ain't gonna work on ancient ass laptop with, with, while as they definitely don't have uh, drivers in in their kernel. Yeah, mm -hmm. that was a suck experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, but otherwise, there there weren't many limitations for me at the time outside of gaming. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but that was also hardware limitation, so I didn't even think about it. Do you play Counter Strike? But otherwise, Source. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we did play Counter-Strike 1.6 uh, in the classroom. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, and we didn't even have internet uh, in that classroom. So, because professor, you can, you can use computers without internet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we played Counter-Strike 1.6. <laughs> but yeah, not much for me at the time. But things I discovered over time where there were certain limitations mm -hmm. of either either side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think early on I didn't realize the limitations. You know, when you first start using a system, you don't know what you don't know about it. So as you start learning yeah. more, you start realizing what you can't actually do. Because I obviously I had that 
that um uh database software but at the time uh there also wasn't some like i think some other things i want to use like zoom i think at the time with the web client you couldn't start a call and i didn't want to install the desktop client and uh, like some random other i think some maybe some browser plugins might have behaved a little bit weirdly as well I was using, <laughs> I was using Vivaldi as my browser on <laughs> Windows and on Linux, and Vivaldi is fine on Windows. At the time, the Linux version, for some reason, just took forever to load. It wasn't a snap, it wasn't a flat pack, nothing like that. It just took forever to load. I don't know why. Um, I think for me, the the biggest hurdle is the fact that I threw myself directly into a uh, tiling window manager. My first experience on oh. Linux was using i3, which also <laughs> is not a great tiling window manager experience. It's great because it's easy to configure. The default configures, you know, really well set up, but it's a manual tiler and manual tilers are rough because, you know, you end up forgetting, like, if, if you're just getting started, you don't realize that you can, like, rearrange things in all this nice way and you just have this line of pillars across your screen and every application is just horrible to use so i actually got into the habit of basically not even using the tiler i would have one window on each virtual desktop and i still do that today i just feel like it's it's more convenient <laughs> like with the exception of maybe maybe i'll do a two split but i'm usually not going to go above that except in really weird edge cases but yeah. what are you what are you using? Oh, okay. Once you started using Ubuntu, where did you go from there? You started using Arch at some point. Did you stick on Arch like going forward, or were there other things you played around? I was with? hopping around quite a bit, mm -hmm. trying to trying to learn things. I always had Ubuntu to fall upon. Sure. But <clears throat> Arch and Ubuntu were my main mainstays. Mm -hmm. But I was always keeping with something floating. I didn't really venture into tiling window managers. So the most extreme thing that I was using was Openbox. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, mostly using Nomate, which, which can be seen uh, from my history even today. <laughs> so, what may so I, have you? You tried out tilers along the way, though, haven't you? I not? have tried couple didn't didn't care thing. a lot for them. Okay. Not my thing. What what don't you like about Tyler's? Like is it just the familiarity you have with the floating experience because of Windows or is there something about the workflow that doesn't really suit what you're trying to do? Honestly, I would sooner or later uh, use floating mode and put Windows in such an order that I had Tiny parts of this window, and on top of it, another an, a, another window, maybe even half of that window, because other half is on the the non-existent monitor and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. that that's how I got used to in Windows, mm -hmm. and that's my workflow to basically accomplish same thing, but waste less less space. That's fair. The like. My only, my only problem with the float is I use floating windows. I will put windows in floating mode on my tiler, but I use it as like a fairly sparing thing. Like my I've got a uh, a web browser in my OBS layout right now, and the browser itself is like sitting 
on my window, like sitting on my main window above my face on like the Discord layout because I don't just I want to see my face as I'm talking. But most windows I will tile. Like I, as I said, because I I do everything where it's like usually one window per desktop. Do you actually make use of virtual desktops a lot, or do you like to just cram everything on one place? I don't tend to use virtual desktop. I have okay. I have two monitors. One monitor is my working monitor where I have mostly one window open, whether it be a IDE game, a browser, whatever it is I'm working on. Then I have a secondary monitor that's over there mm-hmm. that I have basically windows laid, laid out uh, willy-nilly and some of them are minimized. I don't need I don't need virtual desktop because of that. Because I'm used to that. And I did use virtual desktops on Windows mm-hmm. for some time. <clears throat> but the main reason I used them was because I literally wanted to, to hide something. Right. It wasn't even showing up when I was alt tabbing. That was my use case for virtual desktops. Yeah, I didn't use them when I was on Windows like really either. Because I there is a hotkey for it. I don't know what the hotkey was. So, from my experience, like, because I never, I look, I probably could have just Googled it and found it, but <laughs> whenever I, 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 I did virtual desktop stuff, it was sort of accidentally, like, I'd hit the key to, yeah. like, do the virtual desktop switcher and then move a window over. And I was like, wait, why did I do that? I don't know. That's stupid. Like, if, if I was going to have it, you know, Super 1, Super 2, Super 3, like you'd normally have on a, a Tyler, like, then I probably would get used to it more. And someone's probably going to tell me the hotkeys for it, and it's going to be something really obvious. And I'm sure if I go back to it, I'd probably want to work out how to do it. But... I think it's super left and super right. Oh, so there's no way to jump directly to it? It's just left and right? I'm not sure. I think it's super left, super right, but I'm... Okay. Uh, I never used uh, hotkeys yeah, okay. for virtual yeah, desktop. No, I, there I is another use case I used virtual desktop for in Windows. Mm-hmm. At the time when I was still in school, when I was using school computers, uh, when I wanted to hide something from professors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was a useful thing. Mm-hmm. We were supposed to be uh, doing something. Mm-hmm. No, we, were, we were playing games in... And I was the one that never got caught. Mm. <laughs> mainly because of that I guess but because they didn't really care because I always had everything done before I started playing games mm-hmm. now that I think about it I guess back in high school when we were using Macs I would have been using virtual desktops back then as well yeah because I was using like Mountain Lion or something my condolences sorry Your my condolences. condolences I've not used a Mac in such a long time. I, I don't know if anybody remembers this, but I actually started my YouTube channel on a Mac. Uh, yeah, it was not not a good idea. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't do that. Because I back when I started the channel, it wasn't a Linux channel. It was just I don't know what it was. I actually I, I can't explain what it was because it wasn't a tech channel either. Some of my early videos, I've just talked about things that don't matter. Like I made a video about. When I hit, like, a curb and then uh, shattered the hubcap on my car. 
I was like, hey, look, I broke that. And that was just the entire video. It was a bad video. No one should watch it. I think it's still uploaded if you want to go watch it, but you shouldn't watch it. But... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Eventually, I did swap. I did start using Arch. I got, a, I got a laptop that I could install Arch on. It wasn't a perfect experience. Like, surprisingly... Like, surprisingly, I didn't have any Wi-Fi issues at the time, which I was really expecting to have. But... Then eventually the touchpad broke, and now I don't have a touchpad on it, and I didn't ever want to get fixed. <laughs> Plus, I don't really use the laptop like anymore anyway, so it's not really a big deal for me in the first place. Um, but I always worked with, as I said, I, was, I always worked with having one thing installed on hardware. But you were saying that you were you had different petitions for your different distros, yeah? Yeah. Have you run into a situation where maybe you selected the wrong petition? Maybe you wiped the entire drive? Like, have you have you ever accidentally installed over something you shouldn't have had? I shouldn't have done so. Uh, I I made my data in such a way that, that even if I did, I didn't care. So you weren't so, gonna lose your home. Thankfully, that did. Yeah, uh, I I did lose my home many times. <laughs> Catch was I didn't have any data in my home. Right. Wait. What do you I mean? had one partition. I had a. I had a. I had a. I don't know how big uh, SSD and mm-hmm. a bigger hard drive. Mm-hmm. And that hard drive was was a shared partition or shared drive between Windows and Linux. Always. It was NTFS. Uh, NTFS formatted. I had and I had all the data on it. Wait, I'm sorry. Hold up a second. Wait, wait. So I had access to the to all data, whether it was on Windows or Linux or any Linux. That was my <laughs> my horrible system of doing things. Yes. Like your main data drive was an NTFS drive on Linux. Yes. <laughs> Yes, you you how can was, you how can. How was do the that. NTFS driver back then? Because I know it's not perfect nowadays. Like, <laughs> uh, working. That, that's simply that. It was working. Okay. Never broke for me. Mm-hmm. It was. At, I have to say, it was great. It worked. I I, I I don't believe that it was great. I believe that it was working. It was working. It had all normal speeds you would expect for a SATA three, uh, two and a half inch drive, and mm-hmm. that was all was I was expecting. Jesus, it worked. So stupid. <laughs> let Let's just say my goal was having all data accessible on any on any OS I booted into. I guess and you technically achieved that. that. Yeah. 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 Let's just say after after I switched off that laptop, I never did that architecture again. <laughs> yeah, I I hope not. That that seems like a recipe for disaster. Yeah. I'm surprised. That, did anything ever like bad ever happen to that drive, or did it survive the entire oh. time? No, it's just fine. It's still in that. It's it's the main drive in that laptop currently. Wow, that's actually kind of impressive. Or no, no, actually it isn't. I removed it. Mm-hmm. It's actually now my main backup drive in my desktop. <laughs> Please tell me it's not still NTFS. Yes, it is. 
but it isn't uh, but it isn't actually uh, loaded into linux so, unless i i manually do it because the point of that that thing right now mm-hmm. is that if i whether it be windows or linux i need to make a backup mm-hmm. i just uh, zip tar whatever everything mount the drive of course i first have to uh, plug it in because it's always unplugged mm-hmm. yep, because yep. it's me i i like to th- make things harder for myself i go i plug it in mount it put uh, the zip or tar file on it uh, unmount shut down the computer unplug it and that's it's it's 15 minute operation per every few months mm-hmm. unless i have to clean it up because I waste. I filled the two terabyte space, so then I first clean it up. So it's a half an hour operation. Is that a SSD or a mechanical drive? It's a hard drive. Okay, okay, okay. One and a half inch. <laughs> when you said it's yeah. not mounted, I, when you said it's not mounted, I thought you were gonna say it's not mounted on Windows, and then I was, I was, <laughs> I was gonna... it's not mounted anywhere unless I'm. I'm copying into it. I unmount it. Okay. Okay. And then and unplug it because it's backup drive now. Sure. Sure. I'm like, is that your only backup drive? Because that seems like a bit of an old drive. It's six year old drive. Yeah. Yes. Uh, is that... I have one that that is actually older. <laughs> it is. Wait, how old is that drive? Eleven years. <laughs> Please yeah. tell me that's not part oh, of your ten. backup solution I... as well. It is. <laughs> but the, the drive is for backups of um, things I have somewhere else as well. Right, it's right. It's a secondary backup. Okay, okay. Redundancy is fine. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. <clears throat> so is that your I own... have it mainly. So is... What... What is your your backup system right now? Like how how if you want to back up your system, you want to back up something. What is the process that you end up taking? Uh, everything that isn't absolutely cannot hit internet or in any way, I don't want it to hit the internet. Mm-hmm. Goes on, I goes on both drives, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or at least the one that is in my computer. Everything that can hit the internet is zipped up or tarred up and put into a cl- uh, private cloud storage. Uh, okay. Is that Nextcloud um, or is that something like else? Blob, blob, sto- blob storage, non, uh, no application specifically. It's cloud, cloud, okay. cloud. Okay, okay. AWS, S3, or whatever GCP. I'm not telling which one it is. Sure, sure, sure. No, it is one, but it is one of the big three. You just dump it on there, and then it just exists. Yeah. Okay. Exists on there. It's private. Mm-hmm. Encrypted. I don't care. Mm-hmm. And that's... And then if you need to, like, just grab something from that, you just pull it down, and then... Hope, hopefully yeah. you don't need to use it, but, you know, it's, it's just going to be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's mostly... Mostly things I already have somewhere else, because everything that is able to hit the internet is probably my source code. And that is probably on my personal GitLab. Right, right. So, yeah. Do you host your GitLab? There are some other stuff. Yeah. Okay. Because I know, I know you, I noticed you hosted your Mastodon as well. Are those the... I host that as well, yeah. 
Are those the only things that you host, or are there other things out there that are on your domain? There are other things as well. I also host my own uh, OCI registry, so for Docker images, or what I use now, Podman images. That's mm-hmm. what, I, what I have. And that's quite a necessary thing for me mm-hmm. to have. So I have that is, currently, those three. So is that something you're hosting on your own hardware, or are you hosting on some... No. no okay. It's public... It's publicly accessible. It doesn't touch my network at all. Mm-hmm. It's such a way that I would host it. That's a big no-no in my opinion. Why do you feel that? What, why do you not think it should be on your own network? Because that, that means I would have to open ports to my network. And Fair that's enough. not going to happen. I know some people like the idea of... I, of like physically hosting your own... Oh, it's one thing to host your own local stuff. Like, you want to host your own local yeah, backup. I host that. Yeah. I have that. I have a server for that. But whatever is public accessible, that that should be somewhere separate. Okay. If I had a separate connection for that, yes, I have a singular connection. No chance. You don't, you don't trust that... If I was, If I was alone, living alone, sure. I don't right. live alone. Because that. So you don't want to put other people's data at risk by doing that? No. Okay, no, that's like fair. That. That's totally fair. Other people's data, experience, all that. Mm-hmm. Then I would have to fix it. <laughs> so Let's with the stuff that you do host remotely, what made you want to go and host your own GitLab rather than use the main instance or your own Mastodon instead of using any of the instances out there? Like, why, why do that yourself? Why go through the hassle? Uh, for GitLab, it is that I do a bunch of weird stuff. Right. A bunch of weird, crazy stuff with my code, with all the stuff, and I don't want to bog them down or anything like that. I know, I know what I'm doing is insane, so... I, I, I need an myself. example here of what, what you're doing. That's Let's just say so uh, I, used to, I used to make... Uh, uh, anything that was added that wasn't in main repos, I used to build myself uh, with automation. Mm-hmm. So AOR, if it was AOR, it was in, in a GitLab repo on my server, and every day it was building. Right. So okay. stuff like that, that's compute and storage, I shouldn't waste on, on them. Mm-hmm. Simple you know what as you that. Do? You, should do you should do what Ublue does and put it on GitHub. <laughs> I know we, we do that, but we do it for a reason. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We share it with public. Right, right. I right. didn't share it with public. I, said, I, I was the only user of it. No, that's And fair. I didn't want anyone else using it, to be mm-hmm. honest. So that's the reality. That's the, right. that's the reason why. And that's the same reason I don't have configs on my GitHub, GitLab, because I think it's just waste of their, their space. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, only I will use it. Right, okay. No, I get that. that. Makes sense. So, what about the um the Mastodon then? Is that <clears throat> you don't trust that some instance that you're on is going to go down no. or? Uh, I don't trust uh, for them to go down. Yeah, that's that would be more of a mainstream explanation. Their sure. realistic explanation is that I switched to many servers. Mm-hmm. I was on one server. I don't even remember which one it was. I switched from that one. I believe I was deleted from it, or I, I, I deleted it myself. I don't know. 
maybe I maybe I forgot to even log in for a long time, so it got deleted that way. Mm -hmm. Then I was on another server. This was oops, mm -hmm. and ah. that one shut down. Yep. And I was on another server, and again forgot to use to use Mastodon, so I got deleted from there, or mm -hmm. or it closed down. I don't know. And then the the latest craze about Mastodon came. I decided I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be looking into a new server when I forgot to log in for a year, because I will forget to log in. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna create my own server. Let's mm. see what happens. Mm. And yeah, it it's working. <laughs> well, if it's a single How user well, that, instance, it shouldn't question. be that bad. Uh, architecture is uh, in such a way that I'm sure. I'm sure uh, multiple of single users could could work on it. <laughs> I just I did an overkill solution. Okay. What I I don't even know the process of hosting Mastodon <laughs> is, so I don't even know what an overkill solution would be in this case. Uh, I use three servers for what could be one. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just say, uh, no, uh, I have a database server. I have a I have a main program server, so where uh -huh. Mastodon runs, and I have a server for what I call front-end, aka all it does is a proxy, a proxy layer. Why? But it does allow me to do some stuff with other stuff. So on the same server, I have GitLab, I have my registry, all that. Okay. So those three servers now contain all my public infrastructure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course, I also did something special, and about a month ago, I went and, and for about a couple of hours, turned off my proxy layer, so nothing was accessible. <laughs> and when it came back, it was working just fine as before. Oh, that's you good. You know what was the difference? I switched hey, to the server. At least, look, at uh, least the proxy layer came back. That's good. Yeah, it came back. It should have. It's Nginx, after all. Only difference was it was compiled for a different architecture. Because I went and I went and I bought a new virtual machine. Uh -huh. This time with ARM. So I have a... My proxy layer is ARM. <laughs> I can say I use ARM now. <laughs> why? 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 Why did you change the ARM? Why did you do that? I, I need to know why you swapped arm. Say I use arm. Right. That's that's the reason I tell people. Um, reality is I save a dollar or euro. I save a euro a month. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's so stupid. This model is so overkill it's a for dual, what you're dual doing. Core, dual core. It, it's my... like. I play with that stuff. <clears throat> That's the point of it. Mm -hmm. If it goes down, it goes down. I don't care. It's, mm -hmm. I, I, I use it unless I, I said something to public so someone else can pull it from my, my thing. That's it. Like I use it outside of Mastodon. It, I'm the only person who accesses it normally, so if it goes down, it's my fault. That was kind of the point of it all. Right. So, outside of doing this weird architecture, how difficult would you say for someone who's never 
like hosted Mastodon to go and do it themselves. Because I know a lot of people will set up a Mastodon instance with one of the uh, Mastodon hosting providers, like the ones who just do all of that stuff like automatically for you. <laughs> but like if someone just wanted to go and do it, and yeah, how, how difficult would that be? It's somewhat simple. Okay. I use a, I, of course, because of my experience, I use the Docker container. Right. Or Docker Compose file, which had multiple of same container. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty simple. All I had to do was fill out a, uh, a, their uh, configuration file properly mm -hmm. set up, and set up a Postgres server and a Redis server. That's, but it's all, uh, that file was all, all set up for me already. So all I had to do was enter the right links into it. Mm -hmm. The only problem comes uh, when you want to. If you do it publicly, SSL, uh, that is, um, let's encrypt, let's be honest, free, why sure. not? And Nginx, if you're not versed in Nginx, you, you have a bit of trouble, you might have a bit of trouble configuring. But then again, there are configurations even for that are available publicly on GitHub and even on their website. So you can use that mm -hmm. as a basis. So it's pretty streamlined. So it's, you know, I guess, yeah, I guess with containers nowadays, like that makes things a lot easier than it would have been at one point. You, like, yeah. I know that you have clearly, you have some sort of interest in the cloud space and the server space and all of that. Did you, yeah. like, were you, like, how big were containers back when you first started doing stuff? Non existent, at least to, to me. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Containers came were a thing, but they were they clearly, especially in my my bubble, were basically non-existent. Mm -hmm. I came across them a couple of years ago, two three years ago. No, it actually had to be more. Time flies nowadays. Sure, <laughs> you so didn't I, notice. I think like three four years ago. Yeah, I think back on my experience. I think. Maybe it's just, yeah, maybe it is just your, your bubble then. Because I do remember a class I had where we covered Docker containers. But then I had other we classes. Didn't have that at school. I'm sorry? I, w I was the one who introduced Docker containers to my professors. <laughs> okay. But I, I also had another class where we did Angular. Not Angular JS, but the original Angular yeah. that was very deprecated at that point so you right. know it, there is this mix of things that make sense and then ancient tech but yeah so you clearly have an interest in in the the server side like why is it the server side that seems to like grab your attention so much um Maybe part of it is because I think it's the future. Okay. I think uh, client side is gonna change in the next few years. Of course, I've been thinking that for the last seven, eight <laughs> years. But yeah, I think sooner or later client side will change. Mm -hmm. It will go smaller, thin, thin machines. It will still be still be powerful enough to run on its own, but. For the most part, we will use cloud, whether it's through browsers, through really through um, some sort of virtual network infrastructure, something, something infrastructure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> something like that. 
it will go through that end. And I think uh, knowing server side is very important. So that, and also I've been writing most of the stuff for myself in web app form. I haven't written a desktop app even for things that I give interface for in a long time. Mm-hmm. Longer than I've been using Linux, actually. Okay, so did you have? Well, it sounds like you have experience with that before, like back on Windows. Then, so yeah. <clears throat> when did you start getting involved in this space, like full stop? Then, I uh, that goes probably to mo- most of the time I wrote software. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, uh, first software I wrote when I was like fourteen. Okay, that was when I learned C plus plus. I think school in uh, what would be considered a uh, high school level education that is a rough class c plus plus in a high school um yes let's just say it... we have we have a vocational uh, high school education uh, was it a teacher so... that understood c plus plus or were they t- learning no, along that, the... that was what it was picked for our year and the person just but to know it and teach it. Okay. Let's okay. just say I learned everything myself. So, and I was still uh, uh, in front of the class. Mm-hmm. Even though I learned everything myself, I was three, three classes in front. Of course, I started a uh, class early because <clears throat> by the time we started, it was half a year in because we were first learning uh, theoret- theoretics of programming. Uh, or not really theoretical, it was, it was practical. Mm-hmm. Using Scratch, Scratch, uh, that okay. uh, MIT program Scratch, uh, something like that. Yeah, that that little cat, I believe, yeah. it is the, the icon. Yeah, that's never that think that. That's actually a, like a a really interesting way to run a programming <laughs> class. Teach the concepts and then move you into like an actual language. Yeah. Like, huh? Okay, no, no. I let's I, just say. I thought. Let's just say. Without saying anything about my classmates, um, I I was the only one who happened to have next couple hours free be- when, mm-hmm. when after we had a test. So first time professor sent me out. Second time uh, he said, "Wait here. Sit sit in that back computer. Turn on um, some text there, some 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 ID for C and then he just dropped." A C++ book, and I think it was a Slovenian translation of the of the actual C++ from from the original authors or something like that. <laughs> he just dropped it and said, uh, "Start on page one." That was my introduction to C++. <laughs> Wait, so you just didn't even want to teach I, you? I I was I was too ahead of the the, the curve on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I had a classmate who who managed to to pass the gauntlet after me, so he joined me then. <laughs> God. Yeah. <clears throat> so then there was a couple of classes in front. Uh, so by the time we ha- we came to the third year out mm-hmm. of five, mm-hmm. I I learned I taught myself uh, Java and C sharp. Okay. I didn't want to touch C ever again. <laughs> And by that point, I didn't want to touch Java yep, ever again. Yep, so C plus C sharp for me. 
Yeah, C Sharp is yeah. just Microsoft skin Java. I actually like it. I know I know some people are like, you oh. know, my uh, C Sharp bad. Like it's it it takes Java and then just makes it less Java, which is great. It makes it a million times better, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. So from that point I first learned how to do uh, desktop applications on it console applications of course desktop applications and then i started looking into asp.net ah, and yeah. after that i threw away all all the knowledge i had about desktop applications because that's it mm-hmm. apis front ends and then came the, uh then i cut uh two years happened and then came the fateful uh, 17 10 release and me installing Ubuntu. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. What do you think happened? First thing I installed was I installed uh, .NET Core, and that's what I've been using ever since. Wait, <laughs> wait, still, so everything uh, you I do still, now is .NET Core? No, it's not. No, it's everything not. now is .NET because they, they, they changed the name. Oh, right. Now I it's forgot. .NET. That is .NET. Not anymore .NET Core. I forgot about but, yeah, that. Yeah. When I write code for myself, I write C sharp. Hmm. Okay. Huh. Uh, fun fact for people who watch: uh, .NET works faster on Linux than on Windows, and Microsoft knows that and hasn't yet done anything about it. <laughs> they they also implemented a couple of features specifically to for Linux. Uh, that were not available on Windows or Mac until the next version. So, I really don't care. <laughs> so what you're saying is that Linux is the definitive .NET platform? Nowadays, yes. Especially for ASP.NET. ASP.NET Core. What well, are I... you going to use? You, you, you should use Docker containers anyway. Mm-hmm. That's why it works that great, because Docker containers... That's a good point. Yeah, no, I didn't think of that. I guess, like, I know it's it's really easy to hate Microsoft for everything they do. And for many things, they absolutely deserve it. But Microsoft today is not the Microsoft of the early 2000s. They don't want... They're not going to be like, we are proudly a Linux company because that goes against their like their core. We're trying to sell Windows, trying to sell Windows Server, all that. But they are yeah. fully aware when they say Microsoft loves Linux, they are not lying. But there's also a little asterisk yeah. there. And then under it in very small text, we love money. And Linux yes, is money. Basically. basically, it's money for them. It's... It's what what drives uh, most of their cloud, or not? Let me correct myself. It doesn't drive their cloud. It is, it is the the thing uh, uh, in the car, mm-hmm. and the car is made out of Windows. Still, <laughs> I thought it's a their really bad metaphor. Windows. I, I just... Their servers are still Windows. Right, right. Just uh, most of the things that are running on those servers inside VMs are Linux. Right. Uh, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, if you're doing everything in, in Docker containers, you're doing everything in virtual machines, you do everything. If you're doing it's... Kubernetes, you're doing Docker. If you're doing anything like that, you're gonna be running Linux because nothing else really works with that. Oh, you can use Docker. On Technically, Windows? you have Windows nodes for Kubernetes, but who uses that? Come on. 
I'm sure there's going to be at Let's least be one person out there that's like, I do. Let's just say, I think I know someone who does, but they use both. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, where are we going to go? Where do we go from this? Where? So we talked about service stuff. I guess the best place to go from here is talk about your... So you've got this interest in, like, servers and containers, and that sort of leads naturally into these image-based systems that I see that you've sort of got yourself into nowadays. When did you start getting interested in in containers on the desktop side? Um, As with everything with me, that even predates my interest in containers on desktop, the image-based OSs. Okay. I, uh, for the first time, I heard of Silverblue. I think I thought it was a great idea. Mm-hmm. But it was the future. It it works right alongside, great alongside with the whole idea of client becomes less important, all that. Mm-hmm. But what what was, in my opinion, it was a horrible user experience mm-hmm. because making your own extension of it so you could deploy it was a horrible experience, so I didn't use it. And then George Castro uh, kindly showed me through, uh, uh, through I was following his project um, before it was even a project, actually, but it was just a bunch of shell scripts. And at one point I checked it out and it was archived. Mm-hmm. And, and then I found that there, there, it was moved to a project because now it ha- now it has gotten better. OCI images, and I, I installed it on my at the time work laptop. Mm-hmm. And soon as after, your main OS, I hope not. Yes, yes. Oh God. Uh, it, it was the point. I was running Ubuntu before that. So okay, okay, okay. That's not as bad. Then. What getting into? Uh, we ha- we were using either Ubuntu or whatever Linux he wanted. There was no, there were a couple of Windowses and Macs, but mostly it was Linux. Okay, okay. So, I had Fedora Silverblue on it, mm-hmm. everything ran perfectly, and at first I didn't really engage, but right around, the t- right before, like a couple of months before I actually lost my job, I, like a month or two, I started, started uh, engaging with them, and rest is history. So, how long ago was that, do you reckon? Because if Ubli already existed, then it can't have been that long I ago. guess February. February, March. What, this year? This year. Oh, yeah. okay. I thought it was uh, maybe a bit longer than that. So, things like Distrobox already definitely existed. And actually, Distrobox... Did, uh, did that exist yet, or was that a couple Distro- months later? Distrobox exists for a while now. It, yeah, it certainly didn't get the attention until a lot more recently. Yeah. Um, but Toolbox definitely existed. Toolbox existed for a couple of years, ever since Silver Room. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, DistroBox has been around at least since last year. Yeah. Huh. So from there, you just sort of... Is that what you're using now? You're using Ubly? Yeah. <clears throat> so- I use my own build built on top of... Uh, George's build, build on top of Ublue, build on top of Silverblue. <laughs> so what was it about Ublue that grabbed your attention? Was it the 
it, was it George's explanation on how to build your own custom image, or was it something else that you blew actually offered? So, uh, some of it was George, how mm. he was handling things, and some of it was that things were already done. Nvidia right. was already working. That was a big driver for me. Mm-hmm. Nvidia was already working. Other stuff already working. So why not? And then I started hel- then I started doing things like uh, talking with them, and then I started uh, filling in pull requests or um, accepting pull requests and checking them out. Then I did a couple of pull requests um, more together with them, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a couple of actions. That's another one of my things I like to do is CICD stuff. And that, that then came to me being where I am now with them. <clears throat> so it's just... How how would you... Wait, I don't know where I was going with that now I think about it. <laughs> this happens sometimes. So... What are you what are you running on Ubly? Like what is your desktop right now? Gnome. Gnome? Okay. Gnome. Yeah. Have you like I know you said you messed around with Mate. Have you experimented with things like KDE, XFC, or anything like that else? Like in your past? <clears throat> I probably ran most of the major desktop environments. And you uh, just, one time or another. And you just tend to gravitate back towards yeah. Gnome then? Yeah. Uh, there was a period of time of probably a year when I ran Mate. Okay. It wasn't that long. But, mm, well, could, could have been a bit more. I ran it on Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. It was Ubuntu Mate. And I was a member of that team as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. So, what is it about Gnome that or Gnome, or however you want to say I don't really care how... People get Gnome. really weird about the name. I, I, I don't, I don't know why you pronounce it. Um, like, it's just like people getting weird about Li- uh, Linus and Linus. Like, he says it's fine either way. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I know one's he technically it's fine. correct. I am more about uh, that because it's his name. Sure. I, I, if he said it's Linus and that's the only one that's correct, like, that would be yeah. fine. But when he says... Americans are stupid, basically. Just say Linus. Uh, like, if you're going to say I don't both, correct it's fine. People, I don't correct people, but if uh, people ask me, or like if, if somebody was like, is, is that correct? I would say, I would tell them how, how it is correct. Linus, mm-hmm. as far as I know, that's the, that's the Finnish. Yeah, yeah. Speci- Finnish specific, but I don't say Linus. And then his, his surname is pronounced slightly differently in. Finnish and Swedish as well. I don't know the differences. Yeah. I, it, yeah. Anyway, that's, no, not where, that's not where I was getting to with this. What yeah. is it about? What is it about gnome that grabs your attention? Like, why is that the distro you gravitate towards? I know a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of people in Linux space who are like gnome bad, gnome this, gnome that. But like, what is it about that? Because it's not like it's it's floating, yes, but it's not a Windows-like experience. It is a very different kind of desktop. Uh, it's very si- simplistic desktop. Okay. How people don't understand that it's really simplistic. You have the top bar, you have lock in whatever format you want because extensions, mm-hmm. and you have that grid where you where you select your application. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's that's the simplistic part of it. And I like first of all, I like that big screen 
instead of a, a menu that to me never made sense. I during Windows 8 times I, I hated on it uh, in a big way. Mm-hmm. As soon as Windows 10 came out, I realized how wrong I was. Let's be honest. And as soon as I could, since there was an option later in Windows 10, you could set it so it was always a screen instead of a a, a small menu. And that's one of the driving factors for me for GNOME because that is like big icons are big. You can see things and search works applications mm-hmm. and that's it like, <clears throat> like like my operating system I wanted to get out of my way mm-hmm. and nothing does that better than open in my opinion hmm. I think the issue with the the Windows 8 grid is so Gnome is, is fine because it's, it's all consistent like every every yeah. icon's the same size there's the same spacing it's very clear where things are going to be. Windows 8, you had these different sized boxes. They had different colors. It just, it yep. was just a mishmash of everything. I get what they were trying to do, but I don't think it worked. I think, like, it's obviously like they're trying to adapt a tablet system into a desktop system, but they didn't go far enough into it being a desktop system. So it, it seemed yeah. really jarring for those people who wanted nothing to do with tablets <clears throat> and like mobile devices for their computer. But GNOME is that it's it's more of that middle ground where it's a very friendly tablet system, very friendly mobile system, but it's still like, you know, clear grids, clear spacing, and it feels yeah. a lot more coherent to me. Well, at the end of the day, for me, it's all about search. Right. And and screen makes search much cleaner. Mm-hmm. Whether it was on Windows or it is uh, on GNOME. Screen mm-hmm. makes search much cleaner. Mm-hmm. It can show more stuff on it and so on. Whereas with menu, it uh, on Windows 10 and 11, it cha- first of all, it changes size. Then it, uh, some on Windows especially, it sometimes does this, sometimes that. And with menu, that's generally a thing because we'll we'll have to change because mm-hmm. because of it is actually doing stuff. Screen doesn't need to. Mm-hmm. That's that's been my main driver for it, mm-hmm. for all of this. And yeah, GNOME is clean. GNOME is gets out of the way. It uses more resources, but I don't care about that. Honestly, I don't care about the so-called bloat. Yeah, I. The whole resource issues thing, it's a really weird one to me. I guess it's because there is a lot of people in the Linux world who like to run or who maybe only have some really old system. It's got one gigabyte of RAM. It's running a 10-year-old CPU. And for those people, yeah, I I get it. You're trying to preserve... Yeah, for those people, I understand. Mm -hmm. The problem is that a lot of people who, who call this stuff out don't run that. Yeah, no, they've got like 16 gigs of RAM, 32 gigs of RAM. 64. Try 64. <laughs> you're going to be probably more correct for those nerds. Yeah, some of them for sure. And I, and when I say those nerds, I also mean myself because I also run 64 gigs for some mm-hmm. reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've got, it was I've got 32 by. in this system. That's enough for me. I, I can't even manage to use up that. 
I guess if you're using a lot of like virtual machines and things like that, uh, that was my my plan, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I uh, I use twenty gigs right now. Ah, that's fine. Let's still, let's still I'm using. Also, that is probably a virtual machine. I'm using uh three point seven gigs of thirty two. And probably the max I go to is maybe about, maybe about eight or nine. My system is very overkill. <clears throat> yeah. My system is as well. But hey, you know, overkill's fun. Overkill is underrated. That's my, that's my uh, thing I say when someone says I have an overkill system. But the thing with, with, the thing with bloat is I don't get why people... Like I, I get if you have a reason for the performance. Like you're trying to get every last bit out of a game, for example. Like that makes sense. Get rid of everything else running. Make a very clean and lightweight gaming system. But for your, if for the people who just you know, <coughs> they live in a web browser. They live in their email client. They live in, they live in their IRC chat. Like. But you know, it's it's using too much of my 64 gigs of RAM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they're running DWM as their window manager, and, and like the extra megabyte here and there, like that's the problem. Now there are some applications that are really bad. Like there are some web browsers that actually most web browsers that yeah just devour RAM. Like that's probably the thing that I have that uses the most RAM. Like when I when I have Brave open and. I'm running like 10, 20 tabs. It's just like, hey, how much RAM can I have? Can I just have all of it? Sure. Hmm. Go ahead. Why not? Um, yeah, that's a big, big issue for it is, is browsers. But mm. browsers do, use it for a reason. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there is a reason. JavaScript sandboxing that mm -hmm. uses a lot of RAM. Yeah. But I've seen people who, for no other reason than to just go Load free. Mm -hmm. They go with Gento, not not for any good reason like Joshua does. Joshua mm -hmm. has a great reason for it. They go because they want the reason to have to use as little RAM as possible, even though they have sixty four gigs of RAM or or even more. Mm -hmm. My favorite meme with Gento is if I compile the code of my own system, it's gonna make it drastically faster. Like you're maybe gonna get a little bit of a little bit of extra optimization out there, and if you mess with some build flags, for sure, you'll definitely get some faster applications. But when people are just downloading the package and then compiling it as is, you're not you're not saving think, any real time. I think I talked with someone who does like high performance computing or something like that. So mm -hmm. things that actually compiling yourself would matter. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, I believe they said that beyond compiling the actual runtime library they use, nothing ma nothing else makes sense because only that does actually lower the, I they lower their time mm -hmm. in a significant way for them. Anything sure. else makes no sense because when you're doing things on so many computers and so many uh, so long long, yeah, you wanna eke out each second performance, but then, then you realize that everything that you want to have it available all the time <laughs> as well, not to have it compile every, every few days for, I don't know how long, just so that, just so that it's 
20 minutes earlier than 20 minutes well, earlier. Well, you have to... You have to th- sort of think about the benefit versus the weight of doing it. Where, like, if you're going to save versus one second cost, yeah. per run, but the update's going to be 20 minutes, you got to save 20 minutes worth of seconds for it to even be worth it. Yeah. You won't do that. <laughs> but then again, we're all we're, we're engineers. Sure. We, we automate for two weeks for, for what, what, what is a one-second job. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you're just doing it for the sake of it being fun, like that's that's fine. But now in yeah. the engineer case, that's because you're trying to justify having a job. That's a little bit different. <laughs> uh, that, that's because you're trying. No, that's because you're trying to all the future times you're gonna be doing it. Uh, you, you're gonna let something else do it. You're gonna do something else because you probably have such a stack of things to do, and you're not paid by the hour. Yeah, that's fair. Let's be honest. Yeah, no, that's fair. You know, spend the time now and not deal with it later. Spend more time now so you never have to think about it again. Or when you do have to think about it, it's, oh, I have to press that button. Mm-hmm. One thing you and mentioned earlier... Uh, one thing I want to go back to from earlier is the whole thin client thing you mentioned, where you say, like, this seems to be the direction we're going in the future, but I think we're sort of most of the way there now. Like, people, people like us, we still have you know, high-performance systems because, you know, we're interested in gaming, things like that. But for a lot of regular people, they don't have a computer. Like, they will have a phone. They'll have a tablet. And a lot of schools, especially in my area, they are giving their students Chromebooks. Like, these are very, very low-power systems. Like, obviously, some of the higher-end Chromebooks can get fairly powerful, but, like... These are like $300, $400 Chromebooks where they barely have any storage and you actually have to do everything through Google Docs, through some other cloud services. Like, you are not doing anything local in these systems. So I think we are already most of the way there. And I actually don't think it's a bad thing per se. because I don't think it's either. Sorry? I don't think it is either. I think a lot of the applications that we otherwise wouldn't ever see on Linux over the next couple of years, we are likely going to see. I will be very surprised if like Adobe doesn't go full on cloud. Like they don't have a, what like Adobe 365, whatever you want to call it, where it's like, you can just run it on any system you want and just run it in a browser. I'm surprised they don't already have that. I'm I'm surprised as well, actually. Like, it seems like the, I, the I most know logical direction. Why? I know why they don't have it. Mm-hmm. Because that would get expensive real fast for them. Sure. Because they are popular and they have a lot of re- stuff to render. That would get expensive. Actually, that's a good point, yeah. That's the only reason, reality, if you ask me. And getting, getting it done, and that's mm-hmm. that's it. But... Render costs would get high fast for them. That's it. I guess if you wanted to do it, probably the the most the lightest place to start of their their stack would be Photoshop because whilst it's still going to be expensive yeah. to render, it's not Premiere expensive to render. Yeah. I... But then Premiere could get expensive real fast. That's what I mean. Like if if they're gonna do it, Photoshop seems like the best place to start, and then just yeah. scale out from there. Yeah. But I know a lot 
<laughs> on that note, like that takes us sort of back into the other thing with the bloat topic, where there's a lot of applications now we see using Electron, which is just a glorified Chromium browser. But yeah. that's given us the ability to have, you know, we wouldn't have Discord on Linux without Electron. We, there's there's a lot of programs we just wouldn't have if Electron didn't exist. And I, I get it. I get people wanting to have a lighter application, especially in those cases where it's a poorly programmed Electron application, and it's one that is quite laggy. But in a lot of cases, in those cases where the program is designed well, I don't really care. Like, I, I really don't. And I... If it uses a bit of extra RAM, like, fine. Go ahead, use the extra RAM. It's not like I was really using it anyway. Uh, I'm going to say it this way. Mm. People who know, uh, who know me either from this sort of chats or just know me from, from my stuff or who will know me now mm -hmm. will know that know and will know that I hate JavaScript. I'm its biggest opponent. Mm -hmm. Um... My favorite, my favorite uh, ID mm -hmm. is fully implemented in JavaScript, is it... probably TypeScript, because it's Visual Studio Code. Yep. Okay. Electron app. There you go. I don't, I don't care. It's if it's a good app, if it works, great. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, oh well, I won't care for it. Yeah. About yep. that, and whether it's proprietary or open source, whether it's uh, Electron, whether it's GTK, whether it's Qt, all of that, I. I care about it working for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think with the, like, especially with the growth of things like the Steam Deck, we're s seeing a lot more people like that coming over to Linux space. And it's this, it is leading to a bit of this, <laughs> this, I don't know, over the past maybe, I guess since I started using Linux, I've noticed this weird, this weird culture shift happening in Linux. Because back when I first started, maybe this is just the people that, I was surrounding myself with when I first started the whole everything must be free software always free software nothing but free software that was the the message I was getting back when I first started but <coughs> yeah. I I've seen people now who don't care if it's proprietary don't like they don't make a distinction between free software and open source they've accepted that mit is like the the license of the free software world now because that's what it is like people don't for the most part make new gpl projects there are some exceptions but most of the projects we're seeing are mit projects bsd projects we're not seeing as many gpl style projects anymore and this is leading to like this weird clash between the people who are classically using Linux and this newer crowd that is, I guess, less interested in that and more interested in the the technical aspect, like what they can get out of the system rather than the ethical concerns attached to <coughs> the kind of software you use. Yeah. Well, I, I was on the same, like, I was bombarded with the same free software messaging you were. Mm -hmm. I, I have the same opinion as I had before. There is, the ethics have nothing to do here. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. It's mm -hmm. all about what, what works for you and what you want to use. Simple mm -hmm. as that. And if they don't want to use uh, provide software, they, they 
they have have all right to not use it. That's the freedom of software. Mm -hmm. So you're very much Probably on the the pragmatic aspect of it. Then yeah. the software that <clears throat> yeah. does the job is the software that is the good software. Yeah. I also I am the person who will use MIT, but that's because I think it's uh, actually much freer license than GPL. In my opinion, freedom of the developers is just as important as freedom of users. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this something is. Uh, sorry, go on. GPL doesn't uh, freedom of developers is something GPL doesn't take into account. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this <clears throat> is this is I think where the big culture clash exists because when yeah. people say free software like that has a very particular meaning it means the fsf definition of freedom but when yes. someone thinks of the term freedom like that doesn't really align with this thing that intentionally restricts the freedom of certain people involved in a system i don't yeah. know like what is like, ultimately correct, but I can definitely see the direction that things are going. We are <coughs> shifting away very, very quickly from the copy left, from, like, all of this stuff that has classically been here. It's always going to have a place. Like, there's always... Like, the Linux kernel is always going to be GPLv2. Torvald has said he has no interest in GPLv3, he doesn't care about TVization, and relicensing it to, like, MIT at this point, that would be an absolute Makes nightmare no to do. It's, it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. And you're always going to have the... I, I don't see any reason why the GNU core tooling would go away. Like, I know BusyBox has gotten a lot better than it used to be, and we're probably going to get to a point eventually where compiling the kernel with... Rewrite client... everything in... Rewrite everything in Rust. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we, we're gonna get, I know there was the Amazon um, project where they were rewriting the core tools in Rust. Um which I love. Who hasn't tried that? Right, but if Amazon's backing it, they have money and they have developers, yeah. so that's feasible in their case. But um, where's it going with that? Um, um, free software. Clank and Linux. Oh kernel. yes, Clank. Thank you. We're gonna get to a point where compiling Linux with Clang is gonna be as good as GCC, and maybe we see a shift over to BusyBox as the main tooling. But I, I, like, that's not something I really see being a, being like a, a future that people are pushing for. So there's still going to be yeah. those core systems, but yeah, all of these software you run on top of that, it's getting more and more MIT every single day. It is getting more open source, less free software. Yes, yes. Honestly. Basically, that's what it means. Which, depending on who you are, you would argue is more freedom than the free software side. Yeah. Yeah. I've always said that I I respect what the free software movement has done, but for my personal system, I I am a more pragmatic user. I, I as I said, my first browser on Linux was Vivaldi, which, if you ask, D <clears throat> if you ask DT, is proprietary garbage. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say this: uh, Free Software Foundation and all people surrounding it, they did a lot of good, go good in the years mm -hmm. that passed. Simple mm -hmm. as that. Their time has passed. They're 
there is a change of generation happening. New new people are coming, and with that comes new ideas, mm-hmm. new 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 values even, and that that is the big problem for for the, that crowd. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, there is certain certain percent that will stay, that will bring the message forward, and you have all all space to do it. Mm-hmm. I I'm not stopping you, and nobody should stop you. Well, because I, that. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I think that the funnier thing with like the new the new generation coming up is we've already seen like some of these like new young leaders <coughs> like um you know the uh like Asahi leader the developer of Asahi Linux you've got um you got like Leo Rowe over on Libre Boot. You've got a bunch of other people out there who are doing great things. But my favorite part is the people who are... Like, I think Leah's one of them. Who, in some cases, are more extreme about free software than the FSF. Because, uh, I, I don't know if you saw it, but Libreboot had this, this blog post where basically they argued that the Free Software Foundation actually doesn't care about free software because they don't care about... <laughs> the software that is embedded into the hardware that the user cannot change, that, like, they don't, they don't consider that as part of the software in the system. So that's not something yeah. that you need to be concerned with. But in this, like, in, in, in like, LibreBoot's case, they're like, no, if that's not going to be open, then the whole free software thing doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't, like, the, the idea they had was if your firmware embedded into the hardware... The FSF doesn't really care about that because it's not something the user is intended to change. But if that same firmware is something loaded from, like, loaded as you boot the system, in that case, it's proprietary and you shouldn't be running it. But it's still the exact same software in the end. So wouldn't the loading the firmware as you boot be the better option? Because then the user can, like, reverse engineer it. They can analyze it. They can change it. As opposed to having it embedded in the hardware where... It's always going to be proprietary, and nobody can touch it. I would agree with them, because yeah, that's the logically better option. But mm-hmm. again, um, FSF is older; it has mindsets are a lot harder to change than than the technology is changing. Mm-hmm. So that might have something to do with it as well. Because mm-hmm. maybe, maybe, but maybe when that, maybe when those opinions were forming, maybe when that was that was setting in stone, really, mm-hmm. uh, microcodes and stuff like that wasn't even an option. The kind of firmware loaded on, or, or weren't a norm I like think it is nowadays. They existed, but they were not the norm. I, I, I'm pretty yeah. sure when the FSF was forming. Intel was rolling out their microcode. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But it but it's like a couple of years it really had existed by that point. Yeah. It was not, you know, the standard that it is today where if you're getting an x86 CPU, it <coughs> is going to have microcode updates. You are going to want to install them because otherwise you've basically have a broken CPU and yeah, was pretty much it. <laughs> Um, Renat, you mentioned um, about microcode and all mm. that. I remember the story from 
back in the day about mm -hmm. Intel. Okay. Uh, when the f the first the first processor that had uh, the first blue Pentium or something like that, that had uh, a, a floating point unit into the in the CPU, mm -hmm. uh, they <clears throat> messed messed it up. And what happened? They were first of all they were selling two CPUs, mm -hmm. one with floating point unit, one without. I think and kind of the, the one that had float floating point unit. Uh, did floating point calculations slightly off, and there were specific numbers that were way off. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, they actually, they actually, people, first of all, were having the, you have to show that you need that number, or that this actually has a problem for you. At the end, they, they, they decided to send everybody a new CPU. <laughs> it was one of the first Pentium, might be Pentium 2 or Pentium 3, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and it, that that that's something uh, something microcode wouldn't be able to fix. For anyone curious, why that, uh, if you look at any number library, like you look at a, a money library, for example, uh, it's not doing the money in floating points. Everything is an integer. There is a good reason for that. Floating points are floating points are the devil. Like, this is a Chris Titus thumbnail. Floating point units are the devil. Nobody should use floating points. They are bad. Like, if you, if you need precision, floating points should not... Like, they're fine for, like, you know, doing things where it doesn't really matter if you're off by a couple of points. But if you, if you need it to be exactly what it needs to be... On the money. Right on the... Yeah, exactly right on, on the, the money. money. Like, you, you need, like, a coordinate system where it's down to, like, the meter. You are not using floating points. They're bad. They just don't... No, stop it. <laughs> you wrap integers. You, you, you're much better off multiplying by 100 than, than at the end of the operation doing, uh, yeah. doing exact opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're much better off. Yeah, exactly. Because... Integer operations are are one of the basically oldest things computer can do, mm -hmm. and it is for so long in those CPUs, and some CPUs even optimized for that. Mm -hmm. uh, the big ARM CPUs from um, Ampere, or it's called the Ampere Ultra CPUs. Mm -hmm. Those are specifically made for integer operations. Mm -hmm. Well, if you want to know how, uh, like, the reason for that is because web servers mm -hmm. are basically integer operations. Yeah, yeah. If you, want, if, you want to know how, uh, great. if you want to know how unnecessary floating point units are, in the early days of computing, if you needed floating point, it would be a separate chip on the board. <laughs> like, you didn't yeah. have floating point support in the CPU. Yeah. I believe that, that CPU that I mentioned was one of the first that actually had a floating point unit uh, in the CPU itself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like um, one of my yeah. professors might have told me that story at some point. There are devices that are really good at floating point calculations. Mm -hmm. they're, they're normally called graphics cards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because that's what they do all the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if, yeah, graphics cards are... Gra Look, there's a, reason why, <laughs> there's a reason why they went up in price when everyone was mining crypto. They're good at that. They're good at crunching yeah. numbers. That's literally their purpose. Yeah. yeah, they're they're good at floating point calculations, mm -hmm. and crypto mining is essentially floating point calculations as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It is. It's also a good that space heater, but you know, there's a, that's a whole separate yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. 
So going back to that's, sorry, that's whole whole computer is a good space heater at the end of the day because it's yeah, mostly wasting electricity. <laughs> Have nothing but exhaust fans, no cooling fans. Yeah, no, no intakes, only outtake. Um, so going back to you hosting your own Mastodon instance. Uh, have you been paying attention to what's been happening with, um, with Instagram and threads? Because I know people are very worried about threads joining the Fediverse, and they're worried about, like, what's going to happen, and whether this, in like, whether it should just be blocked, and all this stuff. I know of threads. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have an opinion about them joining, joining. I can't use threads. Welcome to European Union. Right. They block threads because I have no idea. <laughs> so something, something, something privacy. Ah, uh, GDPR stuff probably then. Let's have a look. Yes, yes. Yay. I actually didn't know that. Threads, pro- European Union. Let's see. Yeah. A lot of regu- regulators said, nope, not going to happen. Uh, I think it has to do with something with... We're just uh, registering from Instagram or something like that. Mm-hmm. Meta's uh, Twitter competitor is not yet available in the EU due to regulatory concerns. Huh. Well, the EU actually is yeah. sensible. I am... Wow, that's... Uh, in, in theory, EU is sensible. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I, I won't say my opinion why, okay. but... In this one case, yeah. they are sensible. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah they, they did good. I'd like I'll say they did good. Yeah, like <laughs> it would be nice if maybe they caught up to, you know, the rest of the social media. But hey, you know. Well, they're already there. They they, they find them all mm. the time. It just that doesn't matter because they have too much money. Yeah, that's the problem. Well, yeah, like look, if if you find someone a billion dollars and they make ten billion dollars. Yeah, that's what it is. Basically, okay. that's what it is. <laughs> It's just an inconvenience cost. They like to find them. That's that is the reason they're sensible, after all. <laughs> because, well, if if they don't want to be good for our uh, our people, well, mm-hmm. we're going to find them. Mm-hmm. Money, free money for us. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's basically the idea behind European Union nowadays and tech mm-hmm. companies. Fines. <laughs> <laughs> well... I guess, um, since you don't really have much to say about that then, have you been paying attention to the... to Not the Red Hat situation, because there's something there, but the Fedora situation now. The, uh, the telemetry situation. Because I... Uh, it, it's I'm a mess. I'm going to say this way. No, it's... Yes, it is a mess. It's a mess because open source and free software people are behind the time. Mm-hmm. In my opinion... Telemetry should be in every every semi-major open source project okay. for years now. Mm-hmm. Not because reality is it gives you good data. Mm-hmm. Much better data than issues and forums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. You, if you want to have good user experience, you're going gonna to have to collect telemetry. Mm-hmm. Now the question is how you will collect the telemetry and how... how how nice you're going to be to your users. Mm-hmm. That's, that's where proprietary companies fail. That's it. So, okay. Well, one of the concerns that we have, there's definitely like, 
probably going to end up being the blocker is whether it's opt-in or opt-out. Now, the guy that proposed the telemetry for Fedora basically said, if we cannot do opt-out, then there's no point even doing it. Because opt-in telemetry yes. is basically garbage data and you don't get a representative sample. So do you think that it should be opt-out? Opt-in telemetry brings in, brings in the, sa the same amount of useful data as forums and issues. Mm -hmm. Basically mm -hmm. none. Mm-hmm. Simple that like there is no point to opt in telemetry or opt in such opt in data acquisition. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It does it bring it, it, just people who don't care will and those aren't just those aren't a good sample. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Especially in the Linux world where like you know it's it's very like the whole idea of telemetry is very very touchy like maybe you could get away That's with it more yes. in like the the mac os world and the windows world where people are sort of more conditioned to that being a normal thing but in the linux world if you even say like we are going to collect hardware information like people freak out about hardware information like you know the size of your drive the cpu you're using like even that is enough for some people to just say no that's not going to happen yeah, it's <clears throat> there needs to be a change of mindset in my opinion. Mm -hmm. If we want to have good applications, we need to we need to either we need to go and report everything we do with their applications, or we need to allow them to collect data. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one... and I'm an engineer. Mm -hmm. I'm all for automation. So collect data it is. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna go and and enter everything I do. I I don't have time for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing that I do think is like a a concern that makes sense is whether Fedora should be the project collecting this. Like, I, one argument I did see that kind of does make sense is why is Fedora collecting the data and not the GNOME project? Because the GNOME project is obviously where that data is going to be used to improve the project. It's not Fedora directly. Like, they're going to be sharing the data with the projects as opposed to using it themselves. And obviously their contributors are going to be working on things in GNOME <clears throat> as well. Um, but it, it's it's GNOME itself that's going to benefit. Um, yeah, that is actually a bit of a thinker, but there is much more than just uh, GNOME, what is known as simple. Just one of the things, what applications people use. Mm-hmm. How many times they are used? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How long they are turned on? Mm -hmm. All that stuff can help a distro decide whether where that application is even needed. Let's say, for example, I never open I don't know something that was pre-installed. I never open GNOME software. Mm -hmm. What's the point? If there is enough of people who never who never open GNOME software, what's the point of it then? Installed. Right. right, right. That kind of stuff and. Yeah, and then data sharing. Why not collect everything at once when you already have a chance and implementing that same thing 10 times? And because that means 10 times the compute intensity. Mm -hmm. Collect it once. I think the and other you argument... cross-reference data and all that. Mm -hmm. I think the other argument for Fedora collecting the data is Fedora has the architecture to 
like support that system whereas gnome's obviously a big project but they're not as big as fedora is like fedora yeah. has that those resources to make that actually function yeah they infrastructure yeah 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 Fedora also said they are committed to make like this is going to be a big one that I think if they if they didn't do this it would just be a no go full stop. They have said they're committed to making the data collection model as transparent as possible. So they want to make the like they basically want to make the database schema public effectively, not in like the actual database schema form, but saying exactly the fields they're collecting, why they're collecting the fields. They want to make sure the entire data collection model is like the the software itself is open source they want to have it so if you want to build it yourself they're going to provide build instructions and you can point it to your own server to collect the data i think these are things they had to do like full st if they didn't do this it would be a no-go if they were not making it very clear the data they're collecting i think then you could absolutely argue this is a stupid idea and it should not be done yeah and it is uh, then it is a question about privacy. Mm -mm -mm. That's one of my stops. If if you have at any there is no PII problem, mm -hmm. I see no reason why not. Where I stand on this, I sort of I I do see the value in the anonymized data and all this, but I, I put something I don't know if you saw it, I posted something on Mastodon and like I think Ultimately, this is a, it's, I don't have an issue with the data collection myself, and I can see why it is beneficial, but what I posted was, I implore any of the Fedora contributors out there that might see this, please do not back the new telemetry proposal. I know telemetry can be incredibly valuable for improving the product offered by Fedora, and I'm sure some great improvements can be made with it, but I see this as your Amazon Lens moment. If Fedora Linux goes ahead with this, it doesn't matter that the user can opt out, it doesn't matter the data is generic. It doesn't matter the data is anonymized. For now, until the end of time, Fedora will be called a spyware distro. You will hurt community trust in the project far more than anything you will gain from improving the software, and I really don't want to see that happen. Linux, the Linux world is very, very touchy about telemetry in any form whatsoever. And yeah. I don't see Fedora coming through this unscathed. I think if they go through this, they are going to hurt the project far more than anything they can possibly gain from it. Possibly. Possibly, but... I'm not sure that's... That's... I, that it will end that way. I think, yeah, it will not, not go on schedule. I think it gain can be quite big mm -hmm. if right people have access to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have Have capability to 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 affect change mm. so i i get that as well i i totally get that as well it's it's a very difficult situation to deal with because it, it's yeah I, um, people need to it's open source people mm. were very opinionated people sure yeah absolutely and it's hard to change opinions mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah no that that That's I, it. I think that part's absolutely true. <sighs> I don't know. Yeah. I, it, it's, it, I, I think, look, I think if they weren't just coming off of the Red Hat situation, it wouldn't be, like, as big of a deal. But yeah. 
uh, I saw someone I saw someone post something on on one of the uh, one of the breakout forums for this that I I love so much. Um, there must be an internal contest at Red Hat to see which group can generate the most negative press and or piss off the most people. The fact there appears to be a strong desire within Red Hat to collect user data from users' private machines using opt-out mechanism is troubling, to put it diplomatically. Obviously, this person didn't like the change, but I think that first part, like, seeing <laughs> who at Red Hat can generate the most negative press, I think is a good way to put it, because Red Hat does not get a break right now. Like, every other day, Damn. there is some new thing happening. Where did you stand well, on the Red Hat thing, by the way? I stand on, I don't care. Fair enough. Yeah. Either way. Yeah, that's fair. There, there is no clear legality issues. Mm -hmm. That's, that's where it ends for me. They have all right to do that. Mm -hmm. Apparently they have all right to do it. So, mm -hmm. oh, well, and I always thought that the model of rebuilders was Problematic to say to to say it to say just a little bit about it. Mm -hmm. Problematic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I didn't think it 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 would last. Mm -hmm. Actually, <laughs> on the note of rebuilders, I don't know if you saw this. Um, where is it? Do it should be. I'm gonna send you something because if you have not seen this yet, you're gonna you're gonna laugh because now people are backing a certain company that. I never expected people to back. <laughs> oh wow! This is a. I'm just waiting for 180. For I anyone, saw it. Anyone listening? Uh, this is a blog post from Oracle. Oracle, that Oracle. <laughs> Keep Linux open and yes. free. We can't afford not to. Oracle <laughs> is posting yes, this. Oracle, the I company don't them. behind Java, MySQL, and all that. For the record, I do not believe Oracle. I Oracle is doing this purely out of self-interest to get an own on Red Hat. But I love it exactly. so much. <laughs> Why not? Free, free positive press. Yes, no, that's the thing. All they have to do is say, we are not, or it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like Microsoft could come out and say, we, we want to keep Linux open and free right now. And it's just, Free positive press. Yeah. It's so good. Like, uh, <laughs> the funniest part about it is I've seen people who are now like, we love Oracle. Like, what do you mean? Like, what do you, what do you mean? This is Oracle. Um, <sighs> this is company that is theorized has like lots of lawyers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this is the same company that's 180 really quick. <laughs> uh, we're gonna see where this road leads us. <sighs> you know, honestly, you know you've made a mistake. I, 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 look, I don't know. Who, who do you trust less, Oracle or IBM? Because I don't know. Because they're both horrible. <laughs> yeah. I don't Man, know. Like, That's a hard one. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so sh people just forget so quickly. Like the internet has a five minute attention span. Um, I'm going to say it this way. 
about certain things internet has linux community has a has a memory of we will never forget mm-hmm. and about certain other stuff they have a memory of uh it's been two seconds what happened oh yeah yeah people will never forget like some random comment a uh, comment Leonard Pottering made 15 years ago that will never ever leave the zeitgeist Oracle? Who's Oracle? I love the small indie company that we all love now. Yeah. Uh, I, w- I honestly I wanted to uh, I equate currently Red Hat and IBM to Blizzard. <laughs> or to Activision in general. Not, okay, look, there's there's no there's no there's no breast milk being stolen from fridges, so there's at least that. But that does not mean that they're still not a good company. Uh, oh. I I think I play Blizzard games all the time. Mm-hmm. I kind of can't wait for it to become Xbox Blizzard. <laughs> maybe, maybe some structure will be there. Surely, look, it surely... can't go worse than what what it has already been. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. It can't, it can't get any worse. If yeah, there is one company that it can't go worse, it's Activision Blizzard. Activision Blizzard King. You forgot about the King part. Of the King part's very important. Of course, yes. ABK. Yeah, uh, actually it is very important because Microsoft wants for the King part more than oh, anything else. Oh, I'm sure they do. The mobile space is very, very profitable. They want that mobile space because they want to be the play, the big player there. Mm-hmm. Simply, as. they they know that they they won in PC. They know they lost in console. Mm-hmm. The the last battlefield is mo- mobile games. Mm-hmm. They want to be they want to be the, the the big the big player there. And that's the space that's still growing. Like you know, you are still. Yeah. There is still growth in the PC space, and there's still growth in the console space. Like, you know, populations go up, all that stuff. But yeah. if you look at any graphs of, like, game growth, especially because <clears throat> as countries like... Like, India was a big recent one. Like, as India came online, like, mobile games have absolutely exploded there. Like, China was first. They came online. China became a massive market. And now India is going sort of down that same route. And because, you know, people don't have a lot of disposable income, a lot of people are yeah. just going to have their phone and that's <laughs> going to be their gaming device as well. So you're seeing a lot of, like, I think, and, and Brazil as well. Brazil is another great example. Like, as, as they rise up, they are seeing more people get online and having phones. And you're seeing mass, like, there are games in these, in these regions that... I've never heard of, but are some of the biggest yeah. games in the world. Yeah. And reality is mobile market has different mobile game market has a different different way of thinking. Mm-hmm. That's that's the main catch. You mean a lot of money. Selling everything possible. To be fair, that's microtransactions. That's, microtransactions. The, that's the genesis of microtransactions. Depending on how you, okay, horse, horse, I was uh, technically the genesis. The mod, modern microtransactions, sure, let's, sure. let's say this way. The idea of the infinite it. scale, 
where you can spend yeah. as much money as you want. Yeah, I there was say that horse armor and all that, but uh, the serious microtransactions came because of mobile space, mm -hmm. and they crept into our desktop games as well. Yeah, yeah, they do, and nobody likes it. There was that brief like period this. where a lot of companies were trying to bring NFTs into games as well. <laughs> some, are, some are still trying Yay, to do that. Fun. It's not stopped yet. Yeah. But yeah. at least it's slowed down a little bit. At least with NFT market like completely imploding, it didn't happen as quickly. I don't believe it's not going to happen. I, if there is a profit margin to be had there, these companies are going to find it. But it might take a bit longer uh, now, which is good. Well, when it comes to microtransactions, I am happy that Diablo 4 doesn't have them. <laughs> that they kept that in Immortal. For now. For now. I, I am not holding my breath. Wait until season two. Especially if Microsoft doesn't, doesn't buy it, I am not holding my breath. I know people are looking for more, for more, sta for more uh, slash tabs. That's a good microtransaction yes. spot. Yes, um, those stash tabs, and I, one thing I had to, uh, had to do was explain to people why stash tabs can't be implemented immediately, which, I don't know, people think that all you have to do is paint another icon and you have a stash tab. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work that way, it's not, it's, it's not magic, you have to have a database, mm -hmm. and you won't go migrate database every five seconds, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. kind of the point, why? No more stash tabs. That's why they're waiting for season two with with gem gem tab and all that because database migrations are hard and mm -hmm. error prone, mm -mm. and you do not want to uh, corrupt the beta database for Diablo Four. That would be a fun is, one. The uh, the important part though is why were they not there from the start? That's a whole different question. <laughs> because they thought it would be enough for yeah. for the first couple of seasons. Yeah, they, they and gem tab, I don't really see a problem. I don't see a problem with gems. Uh, I I have 50, 50 of each of them. I have enough. Thousand collect way too many. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They actually had to increase the number of ores and herbs you can have. <laughs> because some people hit 9,999. So they so they add another nine to the mm -hmm. to the code. So now we have ninety nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine, and by this speed, by season three, everybody, uh, some people will have that fall. Oh, without doubt, for sure. <laughs> oh God, man! Like we all, we all love modern gaming. It's great. Yeah. Just play indie games. Indie games are indie games where it's chill. You won't. You're not gonna. You're not gonna have as much of this much mess. Of that. Sorry. I don't play much of that. Yeah. I don't play much indie games. You just play Call of Duty. I most. Call of I Duty mostly play Diablo. Call of Duty. Currently, I'm Call of Duty Diablo. <laughs> and I used to play a lot of World of Warcraft. <laughs> and maybe some. Uh, the only game that's like you could classify as indie for me is Ker Kerbal Space Program. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. I've actually never played that. I don't know why. It's just it's just never grabbed <clears throat> my interest. 
I don't... It's, it seems cool. I get it. Like, it makes sense why it's cool. But, like, it's not it's not my thing. Rocket go bar. Rocket go boom. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the game loop <laughs> of Kerbal Space Program. And then, then by the time you, you launch it 50 times, you're happy it didn't go boom right away. <laughs> that, that's the fun game loop of Kerbal Space Program. <laughs> it's it actually cool. fun. It's it's actually fun. I, that's a, that's the best selling, the best uh, advertisement for a game. It's actually fun, <laughs> which is not true for a lot of games out there. And since there there is no humans in the game, you don't worry about it going boom. You have this little green green, mm. possibly plants. <laughs> Nobody knows exactly. They do have arms and legs and walk. Mm-hmm. But they're possibly plants. Possibly plants. So, nobody knows. Nobody knows the lore behind them. The lore doesn't matter. Uh, the theory behind it, they're possibly plant-based, not not uh, animal-based. <laughs> and when they go boom, you're you, you're sad. Especially you're sad when you li- leave them on the moon. That's when the whole rescue operation <laughs> begins. That's the, that's the second part of the game loop. Rescue operation. <laughs> uh, Let's just say I once walked for for four hours just so I could get my my Kerbal to the rocket because I landed a bit too far away. Uh, and and I walked in real time, so that was four hours real time walk. What? Uh, thanks God, I I I automated it. I uh, grabbed a cube, some small cube, mm-hmm. and I grabbed my mouse and placed it on the cube. And that cube was placed on the W key, and off it went. That reminds me of how I automated my block training in uh, in Skyrim. <laughs> I grabbed a rubber band, put it around the block button, and around the analog stick, so you would just keep walking into the enemy and they'll just keep trying to smash your shield. Yeah, I, I, I went, then, then I went off to watch a movie on the second monitor while making sure my Kerbal didn't fall. <laughs> so just, that would be embarrassing. Even, it's just like... <laughs> I don't... I don't understand why you did that. Maybe I, I didn't want to la- leave him on the moon. I didn't want to leave him on the moon. That's literally it. And I didn't want to want to go and uh, send another rocket up because I was really bad at landing things at the time. <laughs> Which is why I landed it so far away because I was trying to keep it safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you spent four hours trying to rescue him. <laughs> was the four <laughs> yes. hours worth it? Did you rescue him? Yes. Wow, okay. I rescued him. Of course, I had to send another rocket because I ran out of fuel when I came back to uh, to Kerbal. Mm-hmm. So I had to send another one just to get right nearby so I could do a spacewalk to the other one and turn it around and then land. Or more <laughs> more, uh, more like just re-enter because then parachutes took over everything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that was an adventure. Sounds like it. Terrible uh, space program. 
Yeah. Uh, some Idiot. call it explosion simulator. That's it. <laughs> yeah, rocket or boom. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's pretty much everything to talk about. Um, unless there's anything else you specifically want to mention, like we're gonna do sign-offs, but anything, anything else you want to talk about? Mm, nothing else. Like, I'm looking for a job. <laughs> yeah, if anyone, if anyone has like a remote position that you've got open for, like, what is it, cloud, cloud server programmer stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Cloud DevOps. Yeah, nice for, to let me know. Is, uh, is Mastodon anything else? That that'll be in the description. Anything else you want to mention? Uh, I can't hear you. Uh, can you I, hear me? Yeah, what the hell happened there? Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you? Yay. Okay. Okay, So, sure. I said, check out my YouTube channel, and if you find that it's bad, I give you permission to, to cry, because... <laughs> I do many times. <laughs> yes, it's bad. And at that point, I probably should say that uh, I'll be doing streaming again until again, again, give up. I'm gonna try and do it for at least a month. <laughs> How often do you stream? Yeah. Uh, normally, when I do stream, I stream twice a week. Mm -hmm. uh, I do programming. I have a couple of ideas again, so I'm going to try and actually finish them this time. <laughs> yeah. So. That everything you want to mention? Uh, everything you want to mention? You got anything else that you're yeah, not guess. thinking of? That's it. Okay. Yeah, that's it. I'll uh, put all your links in the description down below, so if anyone wants to go find them, then that should be easy enough to do. Um, as for me... Uh, if you want to go see my Linux videos, I upload there six-ish times a week. I'm not sure what's going to be out by then, because this is coming out in, like, two weeks. Uh, hopefully not more Red Hat stuff. I really hope, because I'm getting sick of talking about Red Hat. They need to stop. And then Oracle needs to stop writing ridiculous blog posts like they respect <laughs> open source, because you don't. Because I'm going to have to... I, I already planned out all my videos for this week. I can't not do a video on Oracle saying they're going to respect open source. So, yeah. Uh, that'll be out by the time you see this. Maybe, look, maybe Red Hat's going to do something else dumb. They probably will. Uh, anyway, the gaming channel is Brody on Games. Actually, wait, did I say the Linux channel name? That's Brody Robson. Go there, check it out. Uh, Brody on Games is my gaming channel. I probably have finished Black Mesa by the time you guys are seeing this. So if I have, I'll be playing... I think I'll be doing Portal Co-op with Ren. But if I've not finished it, I'll be playing Black Mesa. Also, uh, Final Fantasy 16, which is very fun. I highly recommend it. 
Uh, if you're listening to the audio version of this, you can find the video version over on YouTube at Tech Over T. If you're watching the video, you can find the audio version on any podcast platform. There is an RSS feed right in Tech Over T. I like sticking my uh, RSS feed in AntennaPod. It's a great app, but it's also on, you know, iTunes, Google Podcasts, all that stuff. You better find it. Yeah. I'll give you the final word. What do you want to say? Thank you for listening to me ramble. You know, I enjoyed the I enjoyed the rambling. As as it got earlier in the morning for you, the rambling got worse and worse. Because <laughs> what is it, like two a.m. for you now? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess that. This is silent. That's true. Yeah, it's uh, going on nine forty a.m. here, and it is very sunny outside. Right. <laughs> Very bright. It's been cloudy the past couple of days. Anyway, um, with that, I guess it's going to be in the show. So, I'm out.